Good evening, Cape Christian. How are you guys tonight? Man, I know Cindy already said it, but if you're a guest here, you don't normally attend, we would love to welcome you. Um, we're a place that we want to be a safe place for you to come and in, explore your faith journey and your relationship with Jesus. You don't have to believe what we believe to belong. Um, also, if you're here as a first-time guest, you're probably invited by somebody who does come here. And so if you are that person who is a bringer and an inviter, I just want to uh, give you a shout out because that is so uh, core to our DNA and our culture is we want to be people that continue to invite and bring people to church so that they can encounter God's presence uh, and uh, the love for Jesus as well. And I also want to welcome our online audience. Uh, for those of you who watch live or podcasts uh, throughout the week around the world, um, we're so glad that you're a part of our, uh, our faith community as well. As many of you know, I wasn't here last weekend. Uh, it's great to be back. Um, and before we get into this week, we're going to spend a couple of weeks on kind of the Easter journey and the Easter service. But I got a couple of things I want to make you aware of. I realize it's a busy season in time, and so uh, many of us are coming and going, but there's a lot of exciting um, things happening here, a lot of exciting changes, a lot of exciting growth and transformation and lives changed. And so um, one of the main things, in case you missed it the last couple of weeks, that you really need to know if you come to Friday night service is um, we only have two more weeks of Friday night service. Uh, because of the growth and the expansion, we need to add a fifth service. And so we are moving our Friday service to Saturday, and we are going to be having two Saturday services every weekend, um, starting the last weekend in uh, April, which is the weekend after Easter. So um, our Friday service is going to be moved to 4 o'clock um, and to 530 uh, in two weeks from now. So make plans to, to figure out what, you know, which uh, service you're going to go to. I know for some of you, it's an adjustment. Some of you, it's exciting. Uh, it's going to give people the opportunity to attend one and serve one. I also want to point out that our 4 o'clock service on Saturday is going to be the equivalent to our 1030 service on Sunday, which is important because at 1030, we also run Growth Track and we also run our middle school service, Haven, over in the student center. So if you uh, are looking for those two things, you can get those on Saturday, just like you can on Sunday. So that's two weeks from now. Um, and and want to make sure that you're aware that next week, of course, is Easter weekend, and we're going to be having eight services. You've heard all about it, but I just want to make sure you understand we will have this Friday night service, same bat time, same bat channel, uh, if you know what I'm saying. Uh, props to you, uh, Adam West, Burt Ward, right? Um, so we're going to have a Friday night service. We're going to have two services on Saturday at three o'clock and five. And the reason those are spread out a little bit more is because we're going to do the Easter egg hunts with the kids over in the, the park uh, area in between each service. So we have two Saturday services. All of our services are the same. And then if you regularly attend Sunday, make note of this, that we have five services on Sunday and the times are not the same. So you can't just come to your normal service. We have eight o'clock, 9.15, 10.30, and one. And so I want to say a couple things about that. In order to have room for everybody, we had to add an eighth service. Last year, we had seven. We didn't have room for everybody, and we've grown since last year significantly. We probably should have 10, but I don't have that much energy. Um, so we're going to see how eight goes, and we'll see what 2020 brings. Um, but these are, are our services. And so uh, just so you can plan, they're going to be 55-minute services so that way you can get your kids, um, get out so that the next group can come in. And I wanna just say this, if you're thinking, man, Easter is gonna be so great, we're gonna come to the 1030 service and we're gonna bring 20 of our family members. If you normally come to church, I would invite you to not come to this service because 1030, that 915 and 1030 service are gonna be the two times that the most people visit that don't normally come. It's gonna be packed. For example, last year alone, just at the 1030 service, we had over 1200 people on our campus. 
the student center was overflowed. The chapel was overflowed. There were people watching in the lobby, people watching uh, in the cafe and other places. And so I know that may fit for some of you. And if that works, it works. But no one comes to Easter by themselves. They bring the whole neighborhood. So we don't have that many places where like, hey, can we have this section? Yeah, we know we don't have like 30 seats available. So think about that. And here's the other thing I wanna ask. As your pastor, I've never made this public, but if you call Cape Christian Home, even if you don't serve on a team normally, I have two major asks of you is we need you two weekends a year to help us out. And that's Christmas and it's Easter. Uh, we have a lot more people on our campuses. We have a lot more services than normal. And so if you would be willing to serve just those two weekends, even if you don't serve any other weekend, we really need you to make that happen. To have nine services, we need about nine or eight services. We need about 900 volunteers to make that happen for the weekend. Uh, we have close to 600 that regularly serve, um, but we need some help. And so if you would be willing to serve Easter weekend, you can sign up on the Connect card today. And um, the four areas that you can help out are the parking lot team, uh, anywhere on the Connect team, Usher, or with kids. Uh, and we take our childcare very seriously. And so if you're gonna volunteer for kids, you will do a background check. We have a 24 hour turnaround for that. And so nobody will be watching children that isn't approved and, and has all the boxes checked. But we really need probably about 400 people that would say, I'll serve one service. Actually, we need probably about 800 people that would say, I'll serve one service that isn't already on Easter weekend. And so if you'd be willing to serve one and sit one, that would be awesome. And I'll say this to remind you that our church code is right there in our lobby. And one of our codes is this, is that we are spiritual contributors, not just spiritual consumers, uh, because we, the church does not just merely exist for us, but we are the church and we exist for the world. And so we want everybody to have a loving, welcoming, friendly experience when they visit our campus. We want them to be met with the love of God. Um, and we want the same uh, environment everywhere. And so we would just ask some of you um, to do that. And who knows, you might like it so much, you just decide to jump into growth track and join a team full-time, which is what God's probably been telling you for a while. Um, <laughs> so I'll say that. Uh, and then last thing, speaking of growth track, two weeks ago, we announced the service, uh, the addition to the fifth service and how we're gonna need about 100 more people to make that happen. And I just wanna say we have been overwhelmed with the response of people who have said, I wanna serve on a team. If the way that works here at Cape Christian is you go through our growth track, which is always going, it's four weeks and you get on a team. Um, about 70, over 75 people signed up for growth track, over 60 people showed up. So we're so appreciative of that. But I want, yeah, which is awesome. Um, but I wanna say this, if you were there last week, you were like, man, it's kind of stuffy in there. They, it was not a lot of room for us. There is room in growth track. We've solved that problem. There's room for more people. So if you signed up and didn't go, there's room. If you went and you're like, man, I can't do that again. It'll be better this week. Uh, or if you didn't sign up, but should have, um, there'll be room for you uh, as well. So um, uh, we believe that the uh, relationship with God comes full circle, not just when we're receiving, but when we're giving out. It's how he wired us, it. how life works best. It's how faith expresses itself best. And so um, you're a vital part of our team. We can't be fully who we wanna be if you don't give what God has given you to us in our community. And so um, I think that's all I have. Whew, I just needed to say a few things about that. So are you guys ready to dig into the word? Yeah. Okay, so... This week, uh, this weekend is, is traditionally what starts, uh, as some maybe you grew up or maybe you've heard it said as Holy Week. Um, this is the week of events that we celebrate. Um, the last week of Jesus's life is loaded with teachings, symbolism, events, and it starts with this small story that happens on what we have traditionally called Palm Sunday. Uh, I'll tell you the truth growing up. I don't know if this is wrong to say, but as a kid growing up in church, Palm Sunday was my least favorite weekend of the year. I hated Palm Sunday. And I'll tell you why. I know some of you are like, can you say that? I didn't get it. 
I didn't understand. All I knew is it was going to be weird. It was going to be awkward. And somebody somewhere was going to wave a palm tree. And I lived in Nebraska. We don't freaking have palm trees. <laughs> and it was going to be this weird thing. And it was so supposed to be symbolic. And I felt like I was supposed to get excited about something I didn't understand. And I would like beg not to go. I liked church. I liked God. I liked my friends. I just did not want to go to Palm Sunday because it was going to be weird. And so it was my least favorite week until recently, more recently in my adult life, I really grasped the concept of what it was. And I'll tell you this, uh, as I studied and researched, what's the big deal about Palm Sunday? It's now become one of my favorite weeks because it is unbelievably loaded with a huge message uh, that had an enormous impact there and then, but I think has an enormous message and impact in our lives here and now. And so I want to talk about the event that we kind of call Palm Sunday. And, and, and uh, so we're going to kick that off. But, um, but first I wanna say, um, there is an important uh, principle I've, I've learned in life that has really helped me uh, with my marriage, um, with life, with my friends, but especially about God and the Bible as well, is that excitement and appreciation is linked to understanding. Have you ever noticed that? The more you understand the gravity or the context or the weight of something, the easier it is to get more excited and to gain more understanding. It's the difference between having seen all the movies, having followed the band their whole life, having lived next door to this family, or having known the, known the story of the boy who had the dream to do the thing and he finally gets it, versus a guy who did a thing. Uh, to give you context, my life improved in value significantly about two hours ago. Uh, we, I didn't win the lottery, we aren't pregnant, but the Star Wars Episode Nine teaser just dropped on YouTube, yes, amen. Uh, a two minutes that we have been waiting for to find out what is gonna happen, what's the name, what's gonna happen. And see, here's what you need to understand about me. I'm gonna help you understand a little bit because I'm gonna help you get as excited as I am, but you need to understand some things. The first movie I ever saw in a theater at three years old was Return of the Jedi when it came out in 1983. Uh, the year I was born was the year The Empire Strikes Back came out. I am a Star Wars fiend. I love Star Wars. At the babysitter um, for years, we would watch Return of the Jedi every day. I have every line of that movie memorized. Um, I convinced myself in my early years, I was Luke Skywalker, had lots of injuries because of it. Um, and so I uh, have grown up and then I endured the three movies that they made after the original trilogy that weren't that good uh, in hopes that they would fix it. And they have. And so now they're gonna complete this ninth and I watch for two minutes and I'm telling you, I'm watching this YouTube video on my phone and the hair is sticking up on my like neck and like my, and I'm like, this is awesome. And I'm sending it to everybody and I'm like, I, my life just got better. Why? Because it was the difference for me, it was the difference between being blown away and just some guy who did something, right? because I've, I've lived Star Wars. I can tell you right now that Galaxy's Edge, the Star Wars land at Disney opens up August 19th at Hollywood Studios. We have that date marked on our calendar. Why? Because my appreciation and excitement is linked to understanding. For those of you who don't like Star Wars, it's okay, I don't talk about it every week, but I am the pastor, so just go with me tonight, okay? Uh, if I didn't talk, if it wasn't for that, we'd be talking about the Masters Golf Tournament. That was originally on my notes until two hours ago. See, oh, okay. Uh, Tiger just birdied and he's six under one back right now. By the way, it just happened before I walked out on stage, if you care. Um, so no big deal. Again, I'm yelling in the back because I, it's linked to understanding because I know about Tiger's injury and I saw him win majors. And if you're like, otherwise, if you don't care, you're like, yeah, some golfer guy like did something. That's, I think, what it is for me, was for me for Palm Sunday. And I think that's what it is for a lot of us. And so have you ever wondered why they call it Palm Sunday? Have you ever wondered? And I know most of you are like, yeah, they wave palm trees. Okay, great. Why? 
And what symbolism does that have? And what did that possibly have to do with our lives today? And what does that mean for us here and now? And why, when I read the Bible and it's in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, why is it called the triumphal entry? Because if you read the heading in your Bible, it says it's the triumphal entry. But if you read what happens afterwards, he gets arrested, beaten, and killed. There's no triumph in that entry. And so when we look at the Bible as a story and we understand and, 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 uh, and when we understand what's happening, our appreciation and our excitement and our ability to, to feel the, the gravity of it is increased. And so I hope to do that here in the next few minutes with us. And so I wanna dive into a small portion of scripture, but I wanna point out that um, really the story of Jesus's triumphal entry and his arrest and the crucifixion is the only story that shows up in all four gospels. There's a lot of different stories that show up in this gospel or that gospel, and the gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But the triumphal entry and the, and, and the Passion Week, as we call it, that's the only thing that was a big enough deal to show up in all four um, books. And so I'm gonna read out of Mark, um, but before I do, I wanna help you understand what was happening there and then, because I think if we understand for a couple of minutes what was happening, we can get a lot more excited about what God did, we can appreciate what he did, and we can maybe answer the question of why should this matter to me. So say there and then. There and then, the world of the Bible. To understand the, world of the, uh, the words of the Bible, it helps to know the world of the Bible. Here's what you need to know about there and then. There and then, God had a chosen people named Israel. Uh, it was the nation of Israel. They were the, the Jews. And they were, a long time ago, they were promised that they were going to be his chosen people and lived in a promised land. We just talked about this in our Mission Impossible series for seven weeks. Well, now the problem is these people live in Jerusalem, which had been established as God's holy city, established by the, the nation of Israel. They live there, but they don't own the land. They are under the rule of Rome. What happened was, is at one point they established God's holy city in God's promised land, but they couldn't manage their success very well. They weren't blessed to be a blessing. They married foreign wives. They worshiped foreign gods. They did everything they weren't supposed to do and ignored lots and lots of warnings of God's prophets about saying, hey, this is not the best way to live. And so what happened was about 575 years prior to Jesus, actually about 600 years prior to this event, what happened was Babylon besieged Jerusalem. And that's a significant event because that was the moment that nation, the Israel stopped being a nation, 600 BC. And they were, for a while, they were under the rule of Babylon, but then they were under the rule of Persia and they were under the rule of Assyria. And now we enter Jesus's time and the Roman empire has established itself. And Jerusalem is no longer occupied by Israel. It's no longer occupied by the Jews. It's the Roman empire. Herod lives in Jerusalem. He's the one who's built the temple. He's a pagan person. He doesn't worship God. And so what the Romans do is they allow God's people, they allow the Israelites to do their little holy rituals and to live kind of on the outskirts, but they make sure that they're very aware that they are under the Roman rule. In fact, when they would do their special, um, their ceremonies, like the Day of Atonement and things, they would actually have to go to the Romans and beg and ask for permission to use their own religious garments to have their own religious ideas. Not because Roman was opposed to it, but Rome just wanted them to know, we own you. This ain't your land. You belong to us. We're in charge. And so God's people are in his land, but they, they don't occupy it. They don't, they don't own it. And they've been enslaved and under the, the foot and under the hand of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Assyrians, and the Romans. And it's not how it's supposed to be. And, but here's what they have also. 
all that time, those 600 years that this is happening, they keep getting prophecy after prophecy, prophet after prophet, and they all have the same message. And here's the message. Somebody greater than Moses is going to come and rescue you and establish his kingdom once again forever. He's gonna be a new Moses or he's gonna be greater than Moses. This is the Old Testament. And so while they're oppressed, while they're in slavery, very similar to what we just talked about in Egypt, they're back where they started because they didn't handle their success and blessing well. There's these prophecies that somebody even greater than Moses is coming. Somebody more important, somebody more powerful. In fact, this person is gonna come from the line of David, the King David who established the city of Jerusalem with his son Solomon, and his kingdom is going to reign forever. And here's, and they were very specific prophecies about what to look for when this Messiah, they actually called him Messiah, was going to come. Are you with me? Say yes. yes. Okay, I can't tell if you're confused, interested, or asleep. So I just have to ask sometimes. So there's dozens and dozens of very specific things that this Messiah is gonna do so you know what to look for. Well, right before this, guess what's been happening for about two and a half, three years? This guy named Jesus of Nazareth, who almost nobody knows about, hears about, there's still discrepancy about who his daddy is, and uh, all of a sudden he starts doing all these things the prophets started talking about. He's healing people in specific ways. He was born to a specific family. He grew up in a specific area. He teaches in a specific way. He starts doing all these things. And if you know the scripture, which all of them did because it was centered to their life, they're like, this Jesus guy is like knocking, like he's like just checking off all of the prophecies. Like, yep, 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 yep. And we pick up this story where Jesus outside of his death and resurrection and the things that go into that has literally fulfilled all of the prophecies. And what he's done is he's just kind of saved one of his greatest miracles for last. He showed up to his friend's Lazarus's funeral and decided to turn it into a party. If you know the story, Lazarus had been dead for four years. They're mad he missed the funeral and he shows up. He's like, he's, he's like, dude, just chill out. He tells everybody to calm down and he tells Lazarus, come forth. A guy who had been dead and stinky for four days walks out in his grave clothes, scares the crap out of everybody, uh, but comes back to life. And so Jesus, this happens just a few miles from Jerusalem. Jesus, now there's the buzz. People are like, have you seen what this guy has done? He's raised Lazarus from the dead. He teaches like nobody. We think he's the Messiah. And then this event happens. And if you read this event with American eyes and American mindset, you're like, big deal, so what? But if you live in that culture, you're like, oh my gosh. And so, thank you. I can count on the children always. And so I wanna help you understand why they were losing their minds in this little story because there was this prophecy of a greater deliverer than Moses and a greater king than David to come and they think they got the guy and he's gonna take a one mile stroll on a donkey and to you and I, it doesn't mean anything, but to them, it meant everything. And so I wanna read you the story and then I wanna invite you into it because uh, it may change the way you even understand the events of Easter and definitely the understands of the triumphal entry. So I'm gonna open the word, but I'm gonna pray that a little bit osmosis happens because I'm like way more excited than you are right now, most of you, that, that you would, the little that you would just drip on you a little bit. Um, but more importantly than that, that God would speak to you uh, rather than me just act like a fool up here. So let's pray. Um, God, I thank you for your word. Um, I, know the, I know the depth, not just in learning something about the Bible that I didn't know, but I, I know that when I learned this, when you, when you revealed this to me, um, Easter's never been the same. Um, you've never been the same. Uh, I've never knew how much like the Rocky movies this story was. Uh, and God, I pray that you would speak to people's hearts um, help us to have a better um, appreciation and excitement 
for this story and, and for the events of the Holy Week because you would increase our understanding. God, um, don't let me speak tonight. Let, let, let your words come, anoint this, and speak to our hearts in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Let's read this in Mark chapter 11. The story goes like this. Jesus has just healed Lazarus, mind you, and it says, as they approached Jerusalem and came uh, to Bethphage at Bethany and the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples saying to them, go to the village ahead of you just as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord needs it and we'll send it back here shortly. So they went and found a colt outside in the street, tied at a doorway. As they untied it, some people standing there asked, what are you doing? Untying that colt. They answered, Jesus told us to do this. And so the people let them go. When they brought the colt to Jesus, they threw their cloaks over him and he sat on it. Many people spread their cloaks on the road while others spread branches they had cut in the fields. Those who went ahead to those of those who followed shouted, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming king of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest heaven. And then Jesus entered Jerusalem and went into the temple courts. Now, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I read the Bible, it is a little like Star Wars in, it's hard for me to remember this happened on planet earth in a real geographic location. It's like almost like it happened in a galaxy far, far away, and it's a cool story. So I, the next two weeks, what we're gonna do is try to bring this back to life a little bit. Pastor Dennis just is returning as we speak um, from a trip to Israel that he led with some of the people in our church. And so while he was there, he filmed some on-site videos that are gonna help bring the reality of Jerusalem and all the story for the next two weeks to life. And so I wanna show you, he captures a video of kind of where this took place. In fact, there's a road in, uh, just outside of Jerusalem right before the Garden of Gethsemane that's called the Palm Road. And so I want you to actually see this, uh, what it looks like and not just hear the story. So Dennis, why don't you take it away? This is Palm Sunday Road. This is the road on Mount Olives overlooking Jerusalem where Jesus would have come down on the donkey on Palm Sunday as the people had gathered waiting for the high priest uh, to bring the Passover lamb up to the Temple Mount over beyond me there on the other side of the Kidron Valley. So that's like a snapshot of where it is. And so we actually have a picture and this would have been at the foot, if you're at the foot of, of the Mount of Olives, this would be if you were standing there looking and down in that, that middle area, that's the Garden of Gethsemane. Uh, if you know that, that's where Jesus prayed. And so that road goes right through the Garden of Gethsemane. Bethany's about a mile from Jerusalem. And then you ride right up into the wall, into the temple, and you would go into the temple. And it says, Jesus rode a donkey, some stuff happened, and he entered the city, and he went into the temple. This story, as short as it is, is loaded with symbolism and, and uh, imagery that has unbelievable contextual meaning that if you understand it, I think it helps appreciate what's going on. So I wanna break this down a little bit uh, so you can better understand the gravity of what's going on here. So first, it says that Jesus rode in on a what? In fact, the story's kind of funny if you break it down. If we, if we just tell the story, it kind of it doesn't make sense because it says they, they, they approach Bethany and they're on the Mount of Olives and he tells two of his disciples, he's like, hey, go to the next town and uh, steal a donkey. Uh, he doesn't really say that, but it kind of seems like he's saying that. It says he picked two disciples. He's like, go get a donkey. If anybody bugs you, just tell them the Lord needs it. And they're like, well, okay. Like we're gonna find some donkey tied up and they walk up, oh, some donkey is tied up. Uh, and so they untie it and the owner's like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, Jesus needs it. And like, okay, cool, take it. You know, it doesn't say, you know, which two disciples he sent. I don't know, it might've been Thomas, but I doubt it. Um, <laughs> that joke never gets old, it just doesn't. 
And so he rides it, and it says they put the cloak on the donkey. The fact that he rode on a donkey is unbelievably significant. Because in those times, there were universal rules of war and royalty that were understood, agreed upon, uh, and followed by every nation, no matter what your religion was. And one was, if a king were to ride out to war, he would ride on a horse, usually a white stallion. And so anytime a king was going to conversate or bring somebody with him, if he was on a horse, you didn't need to ask, yo, what's up? You knew he was coming after you. He was coming, and because he was coming on a horse, and so he might, they might come up with terms. It was like, me and my boys are about to take you over. Just wanted you to know that's what the white horse is for. Or if he was in a chariot, same thing. So a king that came in a, war, in a horse was coming to war. He was coming uh, with vengeance. He was coming to take over. If a king were to ride into a city or out to another royalty or a, a city uh, that was of significance, if he rode on a donkey, it meant he was coming in peace. And so Jesus, by getting on a donkey, is telling everybody, I'm going to ride into the holy city. I fulfilled basically all the prophecies up to this point. I am who I've said I am. I'm the son of God. It's his coming out party. But he wants everybody to know, I am not coming to create a war. I'm coming to create a peace. Now, you got to remember, at this time, the people of Israel have been paying crazy amount of taxes unfairly to the Romans. They are under, there was rules where if you were doing anything, and a Roman soldier said, I want you to carry my stuff. You, by, by law, had to carry it for a whole mile, drop whatever you were doing, leave your family, stop your work, carry it for a mile, walk, take it, make sure he was taken care of until he found somebody else to carry his stuff another mile, and then you could go back. So a Roman soldier at any point could ruin your day, ruin your flow, uh, and there was nothing you could do about it. If you didn't like it, he would just kill you. Too bad, because we own you. So there's all these things going on. So their economy is, is Roman. Their military power, they're under their, their, their footprint. The, uh, you know, and, and their politicians, it's all Roman rule. They kind of let them do their thing. And so Jesus is riding in. And for 600 years, they've been waiting for their nation to be restored. So do you think the people are a tiny bit excited? But Jesus wanted people to know, I'm not coming to start a war. I come in peace. And he was riding into the enemy camp in peace. He wasn't writing. Jerusalem wasn't like all the religious leaders. Jerusalem was Herod and it was Caesar and it was Pilate and it was all the Roman paganism that was going on. And so he rides in on a donkey. The donkey is significant for another reason because there was a specific prophecy that if he was gonna be Messiah, it had to be on the cult of a donkey because the prophet Zechariah in chapter nine, verse nine, he says this. This is a prophecy about Messiah to come. It says, rejoice greatly, daughter of Zion. Shout daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, but lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, in fact, the foal of a donkey. Jesus is specifically knocking out another prophecy saying, just so you're not confused about who I am. This was prophesied 300 years ago. I heard somebody say today, every pop prophecy sounds crazy until it happens. This would have sounded insane until it happens. So Jesus comes in on a donkey and then something crazy happens uh, after that because Jesus is coming on a donkey in humility. Some kings drove stallions, some drove chariots, some drive BMWs and Hummers and Lexuses. Jesus would have come in on a Chevette or a, a little donkey. I mean, that's just how he decided to do it. But then this crazy thing happens. It says that as he rode in, that people started like taking their coats off and be like, no, 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 hold up. Let me, let me put this down for you. And so like there's this barrage of people who are taking their cloaks and they're laying it on the ground and they're saying, no, no, and here's why. 
culturally in that culture, that custom was, as soon as somebody was anointed king, he would ride into city to take his throne and people would throw their cloaks down on the ground. And that was a symbol of homage and submission to that king as their Lord. It was literally like bowing and saying, I'm paying my homage to you. Here, don't even let the, the colt kick up dirt, my king. And so by laying your cloak down, you were literally saying, I'm with you. You're my king. I want to be a part of your kingdom. And so you have a million extra people in Jerusalem at this time because, oh, by the way, it just happened to be going on at perhaps the most important festival every year that they celebrated for 1,500 years, which was Passover. Because 1,500 years ago, God did something so crazy. He rescued his people so that they could be free. And he said, every year, gather and celebrate this so you never forget that I am a God that rescues. And so this is happening at Passover. In fact, it probably happened right before or right after the priest would have walked the actual Passover lamb from Bethlehem to Jerusalem on that same road. That's why they were already out there. And they thought they were gonna get a real lamb and Jesus comes and they're just throwing their cloaks down because a cloak symbolized, I'm with him. He's my master. He's my Lord. But it doesn't stop there. And in fact, um, uh, I wanna show you another time in history this happened in the Jewish culture in, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 9. Uh, one of the last kings that was ever anointed before they were taken over by Babylon, uh, Jehu had just been anointed by the prophet Elisha. And it says, uh, Jehu anoints him and it says, here's what the Lord told me. This is what the Lord says. I anoint you king over Israel. Now watch what happens as soon as, as he's anointed. It says, they quickly took their cloaks and spread them under him on the bare steps. Then they blew the trumpet and shouted, Jehu is king. See, this is an old tradition that happened, that happened a thousand, or 600 years, 700 years before Jesus. This was a common practice to take your cloak, lay it down and say, Je they said Jehu is Lord, but they would have been saying Jesus is Lord. But it doesn't stop there. They didn't just throw their cloaks down. They grabbed palm trees. Now we know about some palm trees in Florida, don't we? We know about this. This was the part that always got weird on Palm Sunday where you had to wave. It's like, why am I doing this? When do we get to go to the buffet? Church is weird. It's usually cool. I would never invite my friends to this week. That was my experience. <laughs> because we don't get it. Because our understanding is limited. But to them, this was everything. Because in that culture where Greece and Rome called all the shots, the palm branch was a symbol of victory. In fact, uh, anytime you see a coin with Caesar, what does he have in his ear? It's not quite this big. He has a palm branch. The victors in the Olympi Olympics, Olympics would give a palm branch or a replica of a palm branch. Why? Because everything about a palm branch represented uh, victory. And so when you wave the palm branch, it was liberation. It was victory. And some waved them and some placed them down. And so you have people placing their cloaks and waving and they're going crazy. And then beyond that, they say something really specific, which to us is just words, but to them was a prophecy that they were reminding. And they were saying, Hosanna. It says they were saying, Hosanna, glory to God uh, and, and the coming of our kingdom of our father, David. Well, what they were quoting was something David had written long, long ago in Psalm. And he said, uh, the Lord, that word Hosanna literally means save. And so it says, Lord, save us. Lord, grant us success. And watch the next verse. It says, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we will bless you. This is a prophecy that says, they're saying, save us. And they're literally quoting Psalm saying, save us, save us. And they remind them that in, in, uh, in the Matthew translation of this, in, in his account of the story, Matthew goes so far to say that they said this in Matthew chapter 21, same exact story, uh, different author, Matthew 21. It's coming up. Um, but he says, uh, they say, Hosanna to the son of David. 
Well, that's really, really important because there's another prophecy in 2 Samuel that prophesies that this king, the Messiah, had to come from the line of David. And it says, this is what God said to David right before he died. He said, when your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, your own flesh and blood, and I will establish his kingdom. And check this out in verse 13. It says, he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. Yo, they had been in slavery under the footprint of Rome for 600 years, and this is happening in front of their minds, you would lose your stuff. <laughs> they all knew this. They had it memorized. and it's, They knew that from the line of David, whom Jesus just happened to be from the line of David, who just happened to be riding on a donkey, who just happened to do everything Messiah was gonna do, and he is riding from a mountain into Jerusalem. If you are in the crowd, you are not thinking, he's gonna die on the cross for my sins. There, that is not in your mind. You know what he's doing? You're like, he is about to throw down Herod. It's on, it's gonna be like, like Moses and Pharaoh was Rocky one. Jesus and Herod's about to be Rocky two. Like, this is where we get them. Like, let's go. Like, everything about this screams there's about to be a major confrontation and he do you get this yet this is the ultimate walkout song (laughs) this is the this is every rocky movie every ufc fight every tunnel walk from every football team every announcing this is the best of the best it's like my whole life in the last two thousand years has pointed to like i'm gonna ride down and i'm just gonna savor this for a minute and it's his coming out party and he's like yep it's me let's go If you're in the crowd, there's a million people, you're throwing stuff, you're losing your minds. Why? Because you're like, finally, finally, God is going to do what he said he was gonna do, and he's gonna do it the way we want him to do it. Well, can I spoil Easter for you? A week later, he doesn't do it the way they wanna do it, and they are the ones that killed him for it. The Romans didn't kill Jesus. It was the same crowd on the same road who one week later said crucify him. And there's one reason why, because he goes up and he gets tried and he's before Pilate and Pilate says, why are you here? And he said, my kingdom is not of this world. And he let down the million Jews that were in Jerusalem that day because they wanted Pharaoh 2.0. They wanted Moses. They wanted Exodus. They didn't want some heavenly kingdom. They just wanted King Solomon and his reign and his temple. And have you ever been in a place in your life where God showed up so much, but you missed it or completely rejected him because he didn't do what you thought he was gonna do? The ushers are gonna come forward and we're gonna receive communion as we close this service. Appropriately, I would say. But this whole story takes a turn, thank you. This whole story takes a turn a few days later, and we'll talk a little bit about it next week. But I wanna show you something really interesting. Again, in the Matthew account, he says something that's really interesting. In Matthew chapter 21, it says, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred, and they asked, who is this? Why would the city be stirred? Because Jerusalem wasn't inhabited by the Israelites, and they didn't know who Jesus was. They're asking, who is Jesus? But it said the crowds knew. So the city is full of Roman people, and the crowds are full of Jesus people. And they say, oh, this is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. If you were in this moment, you would have lost your mind because Jesus is gonna come and he's gonna wreck Herod and he's gonna wreck Rome and Israel's gonna be reestablished and we're in our land and we're gonna get it. But you know what? They missed it 
Because what they didn't understand is the kingdom that Jesus came to establish wasn't an earthly kingdom. That word save, that Hosanna word save, they wanted them to, him to save them militarily, politically, economically, but that's not what he came to do. He came to save them. He came to offer them something better. See, here's the thing. So often in our lives, I think that we either miss what God does or we completely reject it because he doesn't do it our way. When Jesus rode in on the donkey, if the crowd would have had it their way, he wouldn't have ridden in on a donkey, he would have ridden in on a white stallion. He would have become Israel's king. He would have saved them from the Romans. He would have established a new economy, a new uh, political system, and he would have established his own military. And he would have lived as royalty. But you know what? We would still be lost in our sin with no hope. If he did what they wanted, they would have had temporarily what they thought they wanted. But you and I would have no hope. They would have no hope. But because God did it his way, he rode in on a donkey. He became a humble servant. And he saved everybody who would accept him, who would lay their cloak, who would wave the victory, who would say, Jesus is Lord. He saved us all from sin and death. And he offered something far more eternal. And he offered it to the whole world, not just the Jews. But I find it so interesting that they missed it. They couldn't wrap their minds. He came fully, he came fully as what the prophecy had said. But they refused to see Jesus as he truly was. And so they placed their personal desires on him instead. The triumphal entry was God establishing a greater kingdom where he could offer joy and he could offer peace and purpose and forgiveness of sin and reconciliation to God so that no matter what you've ever done, you could be right with God. Every mistake could be taken care of and you didn't have to have this old sacrificial system anymore. But you know what? They didn't want that. You know, I can't tell you how many times in my life I wanted God to do something else. We wanted three or four kids. We have one. We wanted to be in a different financial situation at this season of our life. We're not. We wanted to be blessed for all the rules we followed and we wish that there were things different in our culture. I wanted influence to influence areas. I wanted to do certain things with my life and I don't. I can't tell you how many times and I wonder how many times I missed what God was doing because he just didn't do what I want. Instead, he did what I needed. And so often in our lives, I think, and I'm, I'm afraid in America that we're really just interested in a Jesus who does what we want and then when he, we don't, he, we reject him. But Jesus came, lived perfect and he came for you and he came for me and I would just wonder how many of us, God is moving in our lives and he's doing things in our heart, but because it's not attached to the things we're focused on, we're just missing it. How often does he come and it doesn't look or feel the way we imagined it and we miss it or reject it? Because Jesus came to be the last, the lowest, the least, to serve, to establish a kingdom not of this world. Jesus was the opposite of Batman in the dark night. Of course, I have a movie problem, obviously. Jesus was the hero or the savior the world needed, but he wasn't the one that they deserved. So as we finish this Palm Sunday, as we move into this holy week, I believe that we are confronted with the same question that Jesus asked Philip, one of his disciples, right before this all went down. And he says, who do you say that I am? Who am I to you? Am I just somebody that you're looking for to sit on a throne, have it nice, feed grapes, let the Greeks be under our rule for a while? Or 
Or can Jesus be Jesus who he really is, who says my kingdom is not of this world and in this world you might have some troubles, but I can offer hope and peace and purpose and freedom and I can give you something greater and I can give you something eternal and I can give you a relationship and I can fulfill you in ways that you you never knew you could be fulfilled. My question for us tonight as we close and we're gonna participate in communion or or Passover or whatever you wanna, this is like the new Passover 2.0, as we participate in that is, Where might Jesus be moving in your life and you're missing it? Where have you placed expectations on God and you're not really interested in what he's doing unless you do it, he's doing what you want. And I believe that God is wanting to reveal himself and say, you can go all in on me because he went all in on us in this holy week. He rode in in peace, claiming to be the king. And anybody who was all in on him gets to be a part of his kingdom because he didn't come to to save a nation, he came to save souls. He didn't didn't come to heal an economy. He came to heal hearts. He didn't come to establish a political power. He came to establish an identity so that you don't need anybody else to love you other than the Father and everything else is just icing versus fulfillment because you don't need anything other than God when you truly experience what he has for you. And I wonder, I wonder this Easter, if God isn't just walking along us, among us, and and he's just saying, hey, I just wanna give you an opportunity to see me for who I am. Would you accept me? Would you accept my kingdom? Would you say yes to me? Would you give me permission to be Lord of your life? And would you appreciate what I came to do? So often in my life, if God would have given me what I wanted, it would have satisfied me for a moment. But what I didn't see at the time is he was setting me up for something so much greater later. He came to save the whole world. And if he wouldn't have, us Gentiles, most of you are Gentiles, a couple of you are actually Jewish, uh, but for the rest of us, we'd have been hosed. But he came for everybody and it's a free gift. And it's just as simple as taking what we're gonna do tonight is you just, you take it and you receive it freely. And it's symbolic of receiving because the last night Jesus died or the night before Jesus died, he grabbed his disciples and he had dinner and he passed the cup and he said, I want you to drink this. And every time you drink it, remember that when you say yes to me, you get my whole kingdom. I no longer call you servants. I call you brothers and sisters. I call you sons and daughters. It doesn't make sense. You can't wrap your mind around it. Emotionally, it will confuse you. It takes an element of faith to say, I'm gonna choose to believe Jesus is who he said he was. And I'm gonna let him be that in my life, not just everywhere else. And so I believe tonight, And this Holy Week, as we kick it off, this Easter season, whether you've never done it before or you've done it every time, you've done it a hundred times in your life, we have an opportunity to re-receive Jesus as a free gift. And we're gonna take communion and I'm gonna give you the opportunity to do that. Before we do, I just wanna give you just 15 or 20 seconds just to process what you've heard. And if there's anything you need to do in your heart, if there's anywhere you say, man, God, I've missed you. I want you back in. If you want to give him permission to have an area, if you want to, if you want to cast your faith on him, if you just want to say, Jesus, I want you in my life for the first time, you can do that. And then we'll participate in communion together and we'll dismiss. But I want to give you a moment to bow your heads. I'd invite you to close your eyes just to eliminate distractions and just search your heart. Who is Jesus to you tonight? God, we recognize tonight that you didn't come 
to satisfy our selfish wants or our personal goals or do what we think you should do. You came to be the Lord and the master who gave up everything, paid the ultimate price to save me from my sins, to give me an identity, to give me hope, to give me purpose, and to give me joy and peace, even in the middle of this broken, crazy world. And so God, tonight, this is us stepping into Holy Week together, asking you, Jesus, once again, we're saying we receive you and we want you to be who you are to us, not who we've made you to be or who we think you should be or who we want you to be. And so God, we're gonna celebrate and we're gonna remember you just as the disciples did because you said every time we drink and every time we eat, remember what you did for us. And so as we enter this Holy Week, God, I just pray for deeper revelation, deeper understanding, deeper excitement, deeper appreciation for who you are to us. God, for those who don't have an identity in you, I pray that they would know what it means to be truly loved just because. For those who are still bound up by addictions or, 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 or a bondage of something, I pray that they would know what it means to be free. God, for those who've been rejected or even been confused by religion, I pray that they would know the freedom of grace. And so God, we just thank you for your love tonight. And we receive you, Jesus, as we receive your blood and we receive your body tonight. It's us saying yes to you all over again. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's receive Jesus' blood together as the disciples did the night before he died. And in a like fashion, he said, my, not only am I gonna shed my blood, but my body's gonna be broken. Let's receive his body as the disciples did. Will you stand with me all across this place and let's pray. I just feel led to pray. This isn't in my notes. I feel led to pray in a specific uh, 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 area, a specific way. And so I just, I'm just gonna ask a question. I'm just gonna just have you acknowledge uh, this is me. Um, I may not do this any other service, but I'm just gonna ask everybody to just bow your heads and close your eyes just for a second. I wanna ask this. If you needed to hear this tonight because God's a part of your life, but you would just say, man, there are, there are probably areas where he's maybe not the Lord. I've been wanting him or looking for him to do other things. And tonight, I just wanna say yes to him being the Lord of my life again. Uh, just include me in that prayer. Just slip your hand up for one second, put it right back down. This is, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just had a sense there's a lot of us that God is, and can I say this? Can you look at me now for a second? God's not mad at us. Can I tell you that? God's not mad at you. He's not freaking out when we get it wrong. It's, it's why he did that. He's not shocked when you blow it. It's why he came and died. And so when you blow it, let's not beat ourselves up. Let's just run back to the blood. Let's run back to the cross. And a, a friend of mine says this, and he says, the, the ground at the cross is level, which means there's no standards and there's no tears at the cross. We all need Jesus just the same. And so if you have been carrying guilt and shame, I'm gonna pray that off of you so that you know it's as simple as what we're doing right now, just to say yes to Jesus. Say, God, I've kind of I've kind of taken the reins. I, I've made you be what I want you to be. This is me just giving you permission again to be Lord. This should probably be a regular ritual in our relationship with God versus something we just do once in a while at church, amen? So I wanna pray over you. And if you slipped your hand up, which was a lot of you, just pray with me. Just say, God, this is me making you Lord again. God, I, I thank you for every hand that went up. God, it's so easy in our world and our culture. We're told all the time that we can be our own master. And so God, uh, this is us tonight. For everybody who raised their hand, my hand is up. I got stuff in my life where I just want you to do what I want you to do and I don't get it. But this is me again saying, I trust you. This is me saying, God, I want you to have everything. 
There's areas of my life that I've been calling the shots and I want you to be Lord again. We want you to be who you are to us. And God, um, we thank you that you're not upset, you're not surprised, you're not caught off guard or, or miffed when we blow it. In fact, you came to the cross because you knew we would. And so I pray that we would quickly run to your grace, quickly run to your forgiveness, and quickly run back to the cross. Thank you for this most epic story, this most epic week that changed eternity forever. And because of that, we get to be called sons and daughters of God and spend eternity with you and spend life on this earth with fulfillment and purpose and identity. God, help us to walk in that. And anybody, God, I just pray in the name of Jesus by the power of your Holy Spirit, anybody who came in here carrying a lot of guilt and a lot of shame for some stuff that they've just done or that they've just been calling their own shots, would you break that off of them in the name of Jesus? Would they leave that here? Would they leave that at the foot of your cross? Would they walk out of here knowing they're free, that the, the weight on their shoulders is lighter? And God, we can walk out of here in your love. You don't hold our sins against us. You look at Jesus and you see us through the lens of his sacrifice. So God, I thank you that you've set us free and you care about us. In Jesus' name, and everybody who agreed said, amen. amen.